Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode of The Sheridan Tapes was made possible by our supporters on Patreon. Soap, Shaylin, Jampersand, and Casper Oliver. If you'd like to support the show as well, please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to ad-free versions of episodes, a special weekly behind-the-scenes podcast, and patron-only AMA livestreams. Before we get started, this episode contains depictions of grief, loss, and depression, terror, strong language, and brief mentions of child death. Content warnings and a full transcript are available in the show notes. Where the hell are you, Anna? Your plane landed half an hour ago. Only two bars? Jeez, I can't even check Tumblr with that. Screw this, I'm gonna go get coffee. Sorry, excuse me, I just need to... Sorry, thanks. This would be so much easier if Anna were here. kingdom, my kingdom for a freaking start. Oh, there it is. What the hell? Sorry, I didn't see you there. Okay, so either I'm going crazy or something really weird is going on here. What the hell could make an entire airport just... Holy shit. I don't know how well you can see this, but I'm in the middle of LAX right now. It was full of people a second ago, but now it's completely empty. I saw it happen. The people just vanished. No flash or smoke or anything. Just one second there, the next... Oh. oh god, I'm so sorry. I didn't say you were Miss... Miss? Just need to get to the baggage claim. Anna will be there. I just need to... <sighs> Shit. Huh. 
Well, that's interesting. People's luggage disappeared at the same time they did. Good to know. That probably means I'm not in the real LAX, just a, a copy of it. Thousands of people aren't being pulled out of the real world. It's just me. Oh, come on, don't tell me you're going to stay like this now? After you hit me with a baggage cart back there? What the fuck is that? Where are you, Anna? Right here. <gasps> oh, whoa. It's just me, Maria. I know I look different with a tan, but can't you... Jesus, Maria. Are you okay? I'm... I'm fine. It's just... What happened? Do you need to get some air? I... Hey! It's alright. You're okay. You're safe. Please don't go away again. Please. I won't. I'm right here. We're okay. Sorry. It's okay, Maria. I missed you too. No, it's not that. It's... I I mean, it is, but... Not just that. What do you mean? I, I just... I think I just had another encounter. What? Here? Yes, here. Look, I got a video of it when I... Did you drop it somewhere? No, I hit it with a hammer when it didn't update fast enough. Of course I dropped it. Sorry. Still, it probably wouldn't have worked anyways. Digital cameras never- Yeah, yeah, I know. They don't do well with paradoxes. Still wanted to show you, though. Well, whatever it was, I think you handled it pretty well without me. (laughs) No, I didn't. And I really don't want to do it again. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I've always thought of the Oregon coast as a special place. One of those rare and precious places where the noise and hurry of modern life falls away and the veil between worlds is thin more often than not. A timeless place where the past and present blur together and the shadows are rarely as empty as they seem. And while there are still dozens of places like that in the untouched corners of this planet, few, for my money, compare to Hesita Head. Perhaps it's the stark contrasts that make it so. The sharp spurs of solid earth jutting up from the crashing waves like rocky fangs, and the lighthouse towering higher still above them. The long, arcing bridge looming over the waves like an ancient aqueduct, linking this isolated place to the other pockets of civilization that cling to life on the edge of the sea. Even the light itself, shining out into the utter dark of the wild Pacific night like a lance of fire, cutting through the heavy fog all the way to the horizon before disappearing behind the curve of the earth itself. Or maybe it's just that it makes me want to wax poetic every time I see it. Whenever I find myself out here, I'm usually driving south on Highway 101 to somewhere else on the coast, and the hills and thick forests surrounding the lighthouse keep it out of sight until I've already missed the turnoff. Every time I spot it in the rearview mirror, I kick myself for passing it by again and swear I'll visit next time. And then next time, I do the exact same thing. And the time after that. And the time after that. It might have always been a next time destination if I didn't take a moment to actually research the place after my last near miss. I always thought it was dramatic enough to warrant a visit even without any supernatural phenomena. Imagine my delight when I learned that it's also deeply, deeply haunted. In 1888, soon after the land around the head was claimed by people who really had no right to claim it at all, this rocky spur was chosen as the site of a new, powerful lighthouse to keep ships off the treacherous cliffs surrounding it. Work didn't really begin until 1892, however, and the construction process was notoriously slow, dangerous, and difficult. Hasita Head was and is right on the edge of a series of steep coastal hills, miles from the nearest town and all but swallowed up by the ancient forests that surround it. Supplies that came by boat had to contend with dangerous tides and waves, and bringing materials by wagon took nearly five hours of riding over muddy, axle-breaking terrain. Yet, even with all that, the entire project only took a year to complete. When the light first shone out into the dark on March 30, 1894, I'm sure that all 
all assembled could agree that their efforts had been more than worth the result. Soon after keepers moved in, assigned to watch over the kerosene lamp and keep it shining against the infinite dark. This, it turned out, was not as easy as they assumed. At least three sets of light keepers came and went within eight years, along with their families, driven off by the harsh weather, dangerous, unpleasant work, and above all, the isolation that wrapped itself around the lighthouse like a shroud. Only after Olaf Hansen took over did the constant turnover end and he spent years turning this isolated spit of land into a place where people could actually live and thrive. He built a schoolhouse, a garden, and even a post office, all in an effort to make sure that whoever came after him wouldn't feel nearly as isolated from the outside world as he and his predecessors had. Across the years, people like Olaf worked tirelessly to ensure the light kept shining, to keep sailors safe in the dangerous waters below, and to maintain a small foothold of civilization far from the eyes of other human beings. And, like in so many other places where humanity lingered for too long alone in the dark, doors were opened. Something was drawn here. Something that took up residence in the shadows of the trees, beneath the waves and beyond the reach of the ever-burning lamp. Of course, civilization eventually caught up with the rugged fantasy of this place. Less than 40 years after the light first started shining, Highway 101 and the Cape Creek Bridge permanently and irreversibly tied this part of the world to the rest of modern society, and the light was electrified soon afterwards. It passed into the care of the U.S. Coast Guard by the end of the 30s, and they decided to sell off the headkeeper's house for lumber. By 1963, the lighthouse was fully automated, and the last of the lighthouse keepers left their posts for good. It was only at this point, however, when the ghosts truly began to come out of the woodwork. While the head keeper's house was long gone, the assisting keeper's house still stood, as it does to this day. Throughout the mid-90s, it was leased out to Lane Community College by the U.S. Forest Service. One dark and stormy night, a group of students, probably driven by the same mix of isolation and boredom that made the lighthouse so difficult to staff in the first place, decided to break out a Ouija board and attempt to communicate with any spirits still lingering on the grounds. After the mood had been appropriately set, the students asked for a name. The planchette began to move across the board and ever so slowly, it spelled out a three-letter word. R-U-E. Hence, when a worker came face-to-face -face with a gray lady in a Victorian dress while cleaning the attic, she quickly became known as Rue. 
For the most part, Rue seemed to be harmless, even friendly, if a little mischievous. After that same worker accidentally broke an attic window while cleaning the outside of the house, he refused to go back inside and pick up the glass. Later that night, the caretakers heard a faint scraping sound through their ceiling, and when they checked the next morning, they found the broken glass swept up into a neat little pile on the floor. Years later, when the house had been converted into a bed and breakfast, guests began to describe feeling a comforting presence in their rooms when they were alone. And a few even said that someone had sat down on the bed next to them while they slept. But even with all of these encounters, it seems no one has ever been actively harmed by Rue, just occasionally spooked. And as a result, the time that would have otherwise been spent afraid of her was dedicated to solving the mystery of who she really was. By and large, it's been worked out backwards, stitched together from rumor, hearsay, and speculation. You might think it would be relatively easy to figure out if anyone named Rue ever lived in the assistant keeper's house, but you'd be wrong. The 19th century's misogyny extended even to the paperwork of the lighthouse service, and only the names of the exclusively male keepers were recorded. Their wives and families were seen as extra cargo they brought along with them. But even without any solid records, theories abound. The most widely accepted tale is that Rue was the wife of one of the earliest keepers at Hesita Head. Whether by accident or through some horrifying act of malice, her daughter drowned, either in the estuary below the lighthouse or in the cistern, and was buried somewhere on the property. There's supposedly a small child-sized grave marker somewhere in the woods behind the lighthouse, though it's notoriously difficult to find and I haven't been able to locate any photos of it online. What happened afterwards, however, isn't often discussed and it isn't clear whether the keeper's wife also died on the property or if she died elsewhere only to return and haunt the site of her daughter's passing. There's even a theory that there are two ghosts, the child, who spelled out Rue on the Ouija board, and her mother, who the workers saw in the attic. But no one really knows for sure. I don't think anyone really can. Of course, I have my own theory, as usual. I see no reason to throw out most of the speculation. Someone probably did die out here at some point, and drowning is the most likely cause. Whether a mother or a child, it doesn't really matter. There's no way to tell without finding the grave and exhuming the body. And despite what some people might think of me, I draw the line well above grave robbing. But the evidence we do have is enough, I think. Whatever or whoever haunts this place has taken the form of a gray lady, a common type of ghost somewhere between a non-corporeal apparition and a poltergeist. 
They're able to influence the physical world in small ways, but aren't possessed by a sense of anger or malice towards it. The gray lady here seems kind, almost caring, though I know there's a serious danger in assigning human motives to someone who isn't human, at least not entirely. After all, I think that's what those students with the Ouija board got wrong in the first place. When the ghost answered the question, what is your name, with R-U-E, they simply assumed she was giving them the name she had in life. But I don't think that's what really happened. Rue isn't a terribly common name, not rare by any stretch of the imagination, but not common. But Rue has another meaning, one I think the students missed. Regret. Dismay. A bitter longing to have done something different in a moment of crisis that can never be undone. In my experience, strong emotions are what bind a soul to a place, even after death. Usually it's anger or fear, but that kind of grief, the kind of grief that demands some impossible action, can be just as strong of an anchor. More so, sometimes. And when the ghost spelled Rue, she wasn't giving them her name. She was telling them her nature, her purpose, and her story all in one. <laughs> Not bad for three letters. Maybe I could learn a thing or two about writing from her. Of course, I can't prove any of that, especially not with the lighthouse closed and swarming with workers right now. These kinds of ghosts tend to be very shy, and they don't like to show themselves when more than one person can see them. Plus, I can't even get up past the lighthouse to look for the gravesite, not without getting myself arrested in the state for a second time. The keeper's house is still opened, and I considered staying the night, but honestly, I don't think there would be any use in trying right now. So once again, I'll just have to say, next time. Next time, I'll finally get some answers. must have listened to this thing, what, three times tonight? Four? And God knows how many more on the drive up here. I was hoping I might be able to find some clue about this place that I'd missed. Some way to draw Rue out or figure out who she was, but there's nothing. Except for that she sounds kind of similar to the ghosts Anna saw in Kingstown and Tahoe. The ones connected to the voice Sam heard in Agate Shore. But even if she is, that's not a lead. It's barely a hunch, and honestly, I only say that because people assume she drowned here. I don't even know that for sure. I'm hoping I can find something more substantial out in the woods tomorrow. I have to. 
This trip has used up all of my rainy day money, and I could only afford to stay here for three nights. I'm not really sure if it's going to be worth it. So far, I haven't seen or felt anything strange. Though, maybe I'm still just tired from the drive. Or just tired, period. To be honest, I stopped listening to the tape for details a long time ago. I, I don't know how long ago, but probably before I started driving here. There isn't much to it, not compared to some of Anna's other tapes, but maybe that's why I was listening to it. I just wanted to hear her tell me a story one more time. To hear her voice again, and uh... I need to get out of here. Get some fresh air. It's getting way too depressing in this room. Alright, just made it up the hill to the lighthouse. I didn't think I would go this far. I only brought my recorder and flashlight so I wouldn't have to carry too much stuff. But I probably didn't need that last one. With all this fog, the beacon is lighting up the entire hill, even if it does get dark when it's not shining this way. It'll probably get darker once I'm into the trees, but I figured now is as good a time as any to look for Rue's grave. If there is anything genuinely supernatural out here, well, this is my best chance of finding it. Or of it finding me, I guess. Either way works for me. No, it shouldn't work for me. I should be scared. I should be terrified, honestly. Going out in the woods behind a lighthouse on a foggy night? If nothing else, I should be scared of falling off the cliffs in the dark, but... I'm not. I didn't really feel anything the whole time I was in Oslo, either. I was angry when I saw the echo and scared for Alice, but I didn't really feel it, you know? It was more like I knew I should feel that way, so I, I kind of forced myself to. And between those moments, the times when I should have been scared or sad or even worried for Sam, there was nothing. I didn't feel anything. Not the way I should have. And it's only gotten worse since then. I've done all of these things to try and make it up to Anna to finish what she started and what? Make her proud of me? Even though I know that's impossible. It's more like... She was a part of me. And I don't know how to feel about anything without her. 
ever since we met, I kind of just followed her lead. It was always hard when she was gone, even if it was just for a little bit. Even if I was the one who told her to go. Even when we weren't together, half the work I did came from her. I know I technically worked for Poultice Press, but it was always kind of... awkward. We had a hard time feeling that out before either of us felt like we could make a move. And even then... <laughs> well, it's a real mood killer to have your girlfriend remind you of a deadline in the middle of a date. And now she's gone. I tried to keep working, but without Poultice, I just couldn't pay my part of the rent. Not for very long, at least. Thankfully, Alice didn't want to stay in the apartment after what happened with the Echo either. She let me keep the safety deposit since she still had her job and didn't need it. I've been able to keep going on that and my savings for a while now, but... What the hell am I doing out here? Please don't go away. Please. I won't. I'm right here. We're okay. <laughs> and now I'm hearing things. Great. Oh. There it is. Uh, I guess this is Rue's grave. That was easier than I thought it would be. It's about 18 inches tall and 8 wide, unmarked as far as I can tell, and standing mostly upright over a small mound that looks... It's... No. It can't be. It has to be a trick of the light. It's blank. I can see it's blank when I... It's... It's my name. The grave has my name on it. How is that possible? There's more on the line here than you know. Maybe even than I know. And I'm sorry. But it's better this way. Better for who? No, no, no! You don't get to take that night! You don't get to go there! Maria, come back here! If you're not going to tell me why we're here, then you can deal with whatever's in there on your own for all I care. No, please not then. Maria, stop pouting for once and help me. Maria? Maria, I'm done with you treating me like this. Tell me the truth or fuck off. Ethos and Zerbos died. No. Is it fate? Character is fate. But she just hugged you. Right there in the middle of the end stage. My ear. Neither of us will be here forever, Maria. And I've got enough from you and the ghost to know that the marks of our past will last far longer than we do. I just want to make sure that I feel good. Huh. Well, sorry if I'm not weeping openly for my dear departed love. Don't mistake this with being okay. Shut up!
I can't do this, Anna. I can't. I miss you and I can't do this alone. Yes, you can. I know you can. And so do you. But you don't have to be alone. I'm not alone. I haven't let you go. And I don't think I can. You don't have to. Not completely. But you have to stop trying to live my life for me. You need to start living yours. I don't even know what that means anymore. Then maybe it's time you found out. How can I move on after what I did it to you? It wasn't your fault. But if I just tried to... It wasn't your fault. I chose to go in there. That was my choice. You couldn't have stopped me, even if you tried. Stop killing yourself over something you can't possibly change. And live. I'll still miss you. I know. That's okay. I love you. <laughs> you better. Okay, I guess it's been about an hour since I stopped recording. I'm doing a little better now. Enough that I can talk for more than a few minutes without bursting into tears at least. I spoke with the caretaker when I got back and said I needed to leave early. I guess she thought I saw something in the woods that scared me off. And I guess that's kind of true, so I didn't bother correcting her. You know the strangest thing? I actually think I can feel a presence in here now. I don't know if it's Rue or someone else or maybe Anna. I don't see how I could have actually been talking to her back there, but it felt like her. It's comforting in a way. Honestly, I could probably stay for a few more days, but I think it's high time I go home. I need to call Alice and... Well, first I need to apologize and then ask her if I can stay at her new place for a few days? Or at least park my van outside while I figure out what... Who's calling me now? It's gotta be midnight by... 759? That's an awesome number. Who's... Um, hello? Maria, is that you? Bill? Why are you calling me on your cell? I thought I you know, said... I, I, it's a risk, but I didn't know who else to call. What's going on? Is it... Ah, uh, 
You know who? What? Oh, no, no, he, he's fine, but it's... Well, I don't know. He, he's okay, but I... He might not be for much longer. The Sheridan Tapes, Episode 39, Bitter Rue. Starring Amitola Lomas as Maria Soul, Aaron Neely Chaconas as Anna Sheridan, and Jesse Steele as Bill Tyler, with original music by Jesse Hogan. Written by Trevor Van Winkle and produced by Virginia Spots and Trevor Van Winkle, and made possible by our supporters at patreon.com slash homesteadcorner and at ko-fi.com slash homesteadcorner. Visit thesheridantapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and connect with us on Twitter at Sheridan Tapes and on Instagram at The Sheridan Tapes. I'm Trevor Van Winkle, this is Homestead on the Corner, and you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.